0: everyone, welcome to the Made It In Music podcast. I'm Riley Taylor, our community manager here at Full Circle Music, and I'm so excited for you to hear this upcoming episode because today I sat down with Seth Mosley, Sam Tenez, and Paul Duncan to discuss what they don't tell you about the music industry. Sam is a gold-selling artist with hundreds of millions of streams on Spotify and multiple film and TV placements. Paul is a songwriter, worship leader, and frequent collaborator with many of Christian music's top artists. This was recorded along with our live online audience from our Song Chasers community. You can learn more about Song Chasers at joinsongchasers.com. For now, let's dive into the episode.
1: Hey, uh, happy Friday. I told you that we would have a surprise guest earlier. I was hoping to like have a sheet or something and then like drop <laughs> it. But here he is. It's Santinez. What's going on? Us, the man, the myth, the legend. We've got the Riley <laughs> Taylor, who you know. And then we've also got my buddy all the way from Sonny. Los Angeles, California. Woo! Mr. Paul Duncan, how you doing, my friend Paul?
2: Pretty good. Not as sunny as you might think, but I'm doing well.
1: <laughs> it's always sunny in LA, man. You can, believe it or not, it's actually cloudy today. It's the first time ever. Wow. wow. Well, even the LA cloudy, it still feels good out there, though. So that's a good
3: point. Yeah, like
1: the, su- <laughs> the clouds at least like refract off of the in and out burger and it just, mm. it just
3: feels better. <laughs> so, sounds delicious. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, today's all about and, and our whole month in Song yeah. Chasers is all about uh, what they don't tell you about the music industry. And um, I wanted to bring a couple friends of mine on. I-, I work with Sam all the time on stuff. He's been killing it uh, up and down the music industry as a songwriter as a producer, as a uh, talent developer, and also as an artist. Um, And then I also wanted to bring my friend Paul on, who's had a whole host of experience in the industry as a songwriter, um, having cuts with, with Lauren Daigle and Jordan Feliz. And then also he has his own podcast called Songcraft, which you should definitely check out. He's had Vince Gill, Smokey Robinson, Elvis Costello, Steve Perry, Linda Perry, and all of the other Perrys. Have you had Tyler Perry? Yeah. Not yet, but we're working on
2: it. Character <laughs> <Well, laughs> Medea.
1: And uh, so, yeah, we're going to be jumping in to all things, yeah, what they don't tell you about the music industry, because it is kind of a black box. Like, it's never what you think it is on the front end. So maybe before we jump in, I- I'd love for, uh, maybe we can start with Paul, just share a little bit of your story just to give give our uh, our folks, our beautiful folks and Song Chasers a little bit of background. On you, who is Paul Duncan? How did he get into the music industry and and get to where he is today? I don't know why I'm talking about you in third person, but
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do
2: the same. Um, yeah, it's it's a long. I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version, but um, you know, grew up playing music and writing songs, and always um, kind of envisioned myself as being an artist when I was when I was coming up and started my own band in college, kind of like a two man acoustic uh thing and in the 90s and then moved out to california and we were like we're gonna tour around and we and we did that for about three years we toured around with our own self-funded albums that we'd made um played some churches and colleges and coffee houses and you know what whoever would have us um and then that band split up as it kind of those things tend to happen and i found myself living in la with a guitar and um, just trying to figure out how could I still make music? How could I still make that my thing? So I just, it, there was the period of yes for me. I said yes to everything. And I was uh, certain place I was maybe leading worship at a camp or I was backing up a band, playing with somebody, or I was learning Pro Tools and trying to do a little, you know, independent recording for somebody that needed something done. Just trying to scrape together, you know, hundred dollars here what you know whatever I could just to kind of keep the lights on playing music um and I think in the early 2000s around 2003 or four uh had my first invitation to participate in a writing session a co-write um and it was with uh uh an older writer named Al Kasha who had written some songs in the 70s 60s and 70s and he turned out to be a mentor for me um and through him I got my first song ever cut um which was a country song back in the early two thousands. And that sort of really gave me the bug of wanting to write more and, and wanting to figure out how that all worked. I was super green. I didn't understand how that process worked. I just got kind of like thrown into it. Um, and a lot of trial and error after that first song got cut, then I went through probably five or six more years when nothing happened. And I was trying to fund my own trips to Nashville and trying to meet as many people as I could. Um, and in that process began to meet some folks that were in the Christian industry. Um, and it was, I think that first country song that got recorded was, like I said, I think it was 2003. And I think in 2010 was the next time I had anybody record one of my songs. So mm-hmm. um, I would say that my story is mostly marked by periods of, of difficulty and um, a lot more no's than yeses. Um and i would say most of my lessons and most of the things i learned about how how to write and how to deal with people all came through kind of the more of the desert years than what i would call the you know the years where things went well so
1: mm. man thanks for sharing your story there's a lot in that and i want i want to dive into a few things before we do that um, Sam tenez many of y'all met sam at boot camp um, but for those of you all who did not maybe give everybody the quick uh, synopsis of your story and how you got to where you are, you've been just sort of dominating it in, in the industry lately, but I know it was a journey to get there.
3: Yeah, you know, I um, I was in uh, a contemporary Christian band called Mike's Chair uh, early on, and then um, we made a couple records, signed a curb, and then I um, decided I wanted to just do writing and stay at home. And so I started writing for a bunch of contemporary Christian artists like Mandisa, Newsboys, and... Um, all sorts of folks. And, uh, but I still felt like there was something missing from what I had to show of what I was writing. And um, I met these two guys, Josh and Zach Farrell, who were in a band called Paramore. And we started making a record and everything um, during that process went wrong. We made the record, but at the end, uh, I had put all the money I had in my savings into this record and it all fell apart. They decided to do other things. I was doing other things. And um, I met this girl named Maggie Eckford through that process, though, and uh, now she's known as Ruel, and by pulling in my friend Matt and kind of helping develop that, um, we were a part of the beginnings of of the whole thing with her, um, and kind of it dominated the TV and film space uh, from 2018 on. She was the number one most synced artist, um, according to Billboard, above Imagine Dragons and Snow Patrol and... Uh, Billie Eilish. And then I started doing my own music in that same space and did really well with that. And, um, had a couple songs that went viral on TikTok, like a song called legends are made. And then another song called, um, play with fire. And then, uh, kind of been transitioning into writing a bunch of rock stuff for a bunch of rock artists, um, old and new. So like bands like some 41 and an older band called filter and, um, and dashboard confessional and a few other things. So we just kind of been diving into that, and um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm I love doing the artist stuff, but I also love writing writing for others and helping produce their records. And so yeah, that's where I'm at. It's hmm. awesome. Thanks, Sam.
1: <laughs> one of the the uh, the main points that I wanted to hit on today, and and Paul, you you hinted at it in your story earlier, is that one big thing that they don't tell you about the music industry. Contrary to what people see on American Idol, and The Voice, and America's Got Talent, and how many ever any other shows there are, people think it's an overnight success thing. Like everyone looks and they see, oh, they blew up overnight. They blew up out of nowhere. But rarely is there such a thing as overnight success. Um, it takes a long time in the music business. So maybe talk a little bit about that, Paul. Um, you know did you expect it to be one way when you came in and and then when you hit that kind of seven year, uh, desert season, as you called it, what, how did you get through that? I think,
2: uh, well, I I kind of have this theory that all of us that write songs and that want people to hear them, you know, there's this, there's this part of us that some part in your brain says people need to hear what I'm doing. And I, you know that, that can be the, the thing that keeps you awake at night that can be the thing that drives you crazy it can feel delusional um but it's it's kind of the fire it was the fire that sort of kept me going um and sometimes i look back at these these long periods of you know what just where nothing was happening i what what was it that kept me going and i think it was that feeling and for me it was I, I think I did think that it was going to be easier. I think, you know, particularly when I was younger, you know, you, you go to in your high school, you, maybe the one guy who's writing songs at your high school and everybody wants to hear it. Oh, you're great. And you go to college and kind of the same kind of thing. And then you, then you leave and you realize that you're the world is a giant a giant pond and you're a tiny fish. And um, so I, I, I certainly thought that it would be um, easier in the end. I'm glad that it wasn't, but, um, because I feel like I, there was a lot of uh, experience that was forged in those times. I feel like my ability to write was really made by those times, You know, just having to understand why was this turned down? Why didn't this work? Mm-hmm. And you have to go back to the drawing board. And, and to me, going back to the drawing board time and time again was what actually began to build some some real craft in what I was doing beyond, beyond the inspiration and taking it to a craft.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so good. Do you do you relate to that at all? What, what yeah, no,
3: definitely. I mean, my, my first band that I was with, we had signed a record deal out of college thinking, oh my gosh, we made it. This is it. Like, you know, not realizing that it was just the beginning of the journey. And, you know, I was telling my wife at the time um, we were just getting married. I'm like, you know, right when we get married after we're out of college, like, I'm going to be on the road constantly and we're going to put out this record. I'm going to be really busy, so just be ready for that. And it took another two years after we signed our record deal to even do anything. Um, And it was just a really hard, hard process to even make a record that was worthy of releasing and even to get the record label to let us release anything. Um, So that whole process was really heartbreaking in some ways, but in other ways, it just made you work as hard as possible to write the best songs possible. And uh, yeah, it was a really not what it looked like in the movies kind of experience so i mean for both of you guys like what was it that kind of kept you going through it
1: i mean were there days that you felt like giving up on it and throwing in the towel
3: yes yeah definitely
2: (laughs) 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 you know i Mm. i think it was a different days different things would keep me going i I kept coming back to this realization that that i didn't really know how to do anything else very well um i think that was something that sort of kept me going um my wife was incredibly encouraging the whole time uh which really helped you i think surrounding yourself with people that are that are going to speak encouragement into what you do but also do it honestly uh because she didn't love every song that i wrote um and she didn't blow me up on songs that she didn't think were great um but I think having her in my corner was honestly really helpful, um, especially when it came to. I mean, I was spending money, trying to take these trips, and that's that's sort of that's one of the really nuts and bolts part parts of it is that you're, you know, I was I was making money by doing things like teaching guitar lessons, and then spending it on going to these trips, these kind of dream trips to write songs. Um, when it probably would, she probably would have preferred that I pay the electric bill with it. Um, <laughs> but you know, having that support was really helpful.
1: Yeah. So how how did you guys and you hit you hit on the guitar lessons thing but like mm-hmm. I was gonna ask how did how did you guys kind of make that season work financially like that's yeah. that's one of the very real realities
3: of it yeah that was really hard I I feel like I always said like you have to do something that is like making your monthly nut whatever that monthly cost is for you you have to do that thing especially like when you have a family and you're like. I can't sacrifice my family's well-being on the altar of music. I just won't do it. So I was like valeting. I was working at an auction shop, like going through dead people's stuff and and taking pictures of it and putting it online. Like I was, you know, doing all sorts of weird jobs, buying guitars on Craigslist, selling them on eBay, going from, you know, regional market to global and making a little bit of cash from from the buying and selling I mean I did all sorts of wild things the funniest thing that ever happened though is when I was working at the symphony doing valet, and my publisher pulled up in his car and it opened up the door and he's like what are you doing here and I'm like dude you don't pay me enough like I, I'm like I'm signed to a record deal but I gotta park cars like I gotta make money wow. so you know it, it was a very humbling season for sure and if and if you're a prideful person you quit right then and there you know yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And you, you hit on something that is really the kind of the next point I wanted to hit on is people have this pinnacle in their mind of there's a record deal or there's a publishing deal. And if I can just get that, then everything's going to be OK. But in y'all's experience and in definitely in my experience, too, it it's not like a magic on and off switch. It's 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 a. Step in the right direction, hopefully, but it definitely is not the answer to creating a career. Um, Paul, in in all those years that you were kind of making those trips back and forth, and that you know, you talked about like a seven-year season of of uh of you know, really not a whole lot happening. I mean, you had been with publishers and stuff even all along that. Like, was there an expectation of once you signed? Uh, a publishing deal that everything would just be like off to the races
2: actually the um i actually didn't sign a publishing deal until 2016.
1: okay so you were so you were independent before that
2: totally independent um and i don't know if that sort of helped my mindset or, or it was a chip on my shoulder for sure I, <laughs> I i felt kind of like man if nobody knows what i'm doing over here i'm grinding in the dark and you know and I think it kind of, it, it sometimes it made me feel kind of sad that I wasn't getting you know that kind of recognition that I thought would help. But it, I it also kind of kept me grinding. I think. Um, so, but I I had to kind of get myself once I did sign a publishing deal and started to realize that that didn't like solve all my problems or didn't you know not like my phone just started ringing immediately once I signed a publishing deal it, to kind of get myself out of an arrival mindset and into a progress mindset. Mm. Um, Because we look at certain things as, well, that will feel like an arrival and then nothing happens and it doesn't feel like you've arrived necessarily. It feels like just another set of starting blocks that you've got to jump from another set of pressures that you might have to live up to. So um, looking, beginning to take my life and career in terms of am I making progress and measuring progress in my writing, progress in my abilities, uh, widening my relationships, um, those type of things it, You know, seeing incremental progress was more of an encouragement for me than trying to land on some type of arrival.
1: Gotcha. And I know in your experience, like obviously you had have, have had multiple record deals and publishing deals over the years, including uh, a record deal with Atlantic Atlantic Records. And it's not all it's cracked out to be.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like I think you know you're you're sold this idea that you sign to a record label. They take your music, they blow you up like you're Billie Eilish, and the next day you're famous. And I think for for the very very few people, the one in a billion people, that's true. But the rest of us have a long, long, hard road of working hard. There is no. I always feel like there's no shortcut in the music industry. So even if you have a record deal, even if you're managed by Maroon Five's manager, even if you're published by Ryan Tedder, even like that will not. Buy you the way in. Like you literally have to write great songs to then, once you're signed, write great songs again to prove yourself again. It's just a constant daily proving yourself. And I definitely relate with that whole like I was unsigned for a long time. And uh, there was a bit of me that wanted validation because of the whole imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. I don't think, I don't, you know, even when things happen, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, maybe that was a fluke. Maybe it was somebody else in the room. Mm-hmm. And I think being signed would be like, here's a knighting. You're signed, so you're good. But if you can get by with not needing that and just knowing that that you have that talent and that gifting and just moving forward and being confident, not cocky but confident, I think that serves you well. For sure, that's that's so well said. And um and I can say too. I mean, that
1: honestly, like in in all of it. <clears throat> you've really got to take extreme ownership of your own career and not really rely on somebody else to make it for you just because they, they won't like, it just doesn't really work like that. I think people think that, well, if I get a manager or a publisher or an agent or something, they're going to like do it for me, but no, you still got to be, whether you're the songwriter or the artist or the producer, like you're still the CEO of your, your brand, your, who you are. And they just become a partner behind what you're doing. It maybe used to be the way where you could like manufacture it a little more if you threw enough money at it. But like, I mean, how many stories are there of, of people just spending immense amount of money with like, no, it's not, you, you can't really buy your way in. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't so much work like that. Um, so I say all that to say um, the indie mentality is a really good thing to have and to keep on your journey through the music industry, because, you know, even if you get the, the, the fortune, the good fortune to to partner with somebody like a publisher, um, you know, you've still got to carry that forward. So uh, maybe you can speak a little bit to that, Paul or Sam, um, for that matter, like just the idea of nobody's going to work as hard as you are for it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's definitely been my experience.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's it's definitely been mine too. I mean, it's it, it's great to have people to partner with you, but that's that's exactly what that is. They're they're partnering with you, um, and whatever momentum you gained up to that point, getting that publishing deal or making that relationship, it, I think the expectation on everybody's part is that you're going to continue
3: to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I mean, you know as much as I want, like I, I even, I have a video guy on staff. I've got, you know, my management, I've got my business management. I've got a, a licensing company that works for me. I can add as many people as I want to my team and feel like, well, maybe this will take less off of me. But at the end of the day, when I go on vacation, I mean, I'm still the quarterback. So people are still texting me going, Hey, what, like, what should I do about this? Hey, what do you think about that? Or like, if, I'm not, I'm like, I'm the one who's thinking about marketing ideas. I'm the one who's thinking about how do we release this? I'm the one who's thinking about what do we do next for the the next record that I'm going to put out? Who do I need to write with next? What writers do I need to get with? You know, all the strategy that goes behind it. So, you know, I think making sure that you are not looking at someone as a golden goose or a golden ticket to get into this thing is really important because it's like someone could reach out, you know, your, your hero could reach out and say, hey, I love what you're doing and let's get together and you think oh my gosh I made it this is it but no matter who it is they're not going to make your life for you you still have to work yeah
1: for sure and and we say all this today not to not as a um, discouragement but you know I I, this is why we talk a lot about Rick Barker and there's a healthy amount of realism that it that it takes with it's like you have to be a realist and you have to be Mm -hmm. realistic but you also have to have an extreme optimism that man no matter what I'm going to make music because I love making Mm -hmm. it regardless of whatever commercial success happens so I'd love to just speak a little bit to the Mm -hmm. mindset of like how whether Paul or Sam either of y'all can jump into this but what kind of mindset and how have you been able to cultivate Mm a um just a spirit of positivity to just keep going and keep keep going after it like is it just that you just you know you love the music part of it so much Uh, uh,
2: yes i mean to to a degree i mean i i I, i've had this concept of treating music like any relationship in my life where i i try to you know i have date night with my wife just to keep that relationship from becoming like a you know a, a business relationship and i don't want to have a business relationship with music either so i Sometimes I want to just go listen to things that I that just make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And they're not things that necessarily are going to be like market research or listening to the new records to figure out, you know, what I need to be doing better, but just going back to the records that that have always inspired me because mm-hmm. I want to keep that relationship with music. It's sacred to me. Um and another thing that I that I think that mm-hmm. I try to hold on to is what I call a first audience mentality and the, my first audience is either my co-writer or if I play a song for my wife or my friends or whomever. And when I live in that small area of of trying to move that person with a song and put goosebumps on their arms, and if we can have that together, trying to think about the world and a song that's going to move the world is a little too big for my brain. Um, But, man, if I can keep those moments, those sparks going with just my first audience and we get excited together, that keeps me going.
1: Mm. That's good. What about you, Sam? What, what is it that kind of like w- with all of that, the business side, cause I, I totally relate to that. That's the, that's the attitude that I, I personally aspire to is like, I yeah. w- anytime I can put the business side out of my mind <clears throat> and
3: that's where it is helpful. You know, you have yeah. your business
1: managers, you yeah. have your manager.
3: So if yeah. it's a team, a
1: big part of it for you or what, how do you?
3: Yeah. I, I think for me, like I was telling Seth this today, I, w- I was joking with him. I'm like, because we were writing for a big pitch, and I was like, I think it's funny that I still believe that this can happen. I still believe we can sit in a room with nothing, come out with something incredible, pitch it to this out-of-our-league artist, and think in my mind, somewhere I truly believe that it can land. I think keeping that belief and that naivete and that childlike wonder of, like, anything can happen whatever you have to do to to tr- to change your environment to keep that kind of childlike wonder that's what i try to do whether that's switching people out of my team or making sure i'm not putting too much negative things in my life like i think keeping that kind of like man anything can happen when i feel like anything can happen then i write some of my best music and sometimes anything does happen like the most insane things that you would never believe and i think I try to hold on to that as much as I can, because it's so easy in this business after getting no, 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 every door closing in your face to just want to give up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just believing in yourself, not a cocky or an egotistical believing, but going, you know what? I'm confident when I have to bring, I know, I know I have a great song or like, man, today's was not good, but tomorrow I'm going to write an amazing song, you know? Yeah, I thought it was good. Today was good. Today was was good. good. Oh my gosh. Man, I was being honest. Oh my gosh. I thought we were Uh, something good. Not today.
1: (laughs) Today was great. (laughs) No, it's fun. But that man, you, you said something really key there. You you have a lot of control over your environment. Yeah. And your environment influences your mindset and your energy and that your environments, the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, I think for me, that's been the biggest thing is if it were just me staying inside my head over all these years, I probably wouldn't quit a long time ago. Yeah. But were it not for the group of friends that I have and the collaborators and the co-writers and the producer friends, um, really the community, essentially, and my family, right? You guys both talked about your wives being a big part of it. Yeah. So. That's always an option. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta fire somebody <laughs> in your inner circle and upgrade your. You know, it sounds harsh. It sounds brutal. It sounds mean. But like yeah. sometimes, if you want to keep moving forward, you gotta surround yourself with people who you want to be <laughs> like. I mean, have you, do you guys.
3: Resonate yeah, I mean, it's even like you know when you look at the Olympics, it's like something is unachievable until someone does it. And then it seems like the next year, four other people do it and they, and they either meet that mark or they surpass it. And it's like, something seems impossible until someone around you does it. And I think I've surrounded myself with, with dreamers and people who are, you know, go after it and they believe for, for amazing things and they see it happen. I go, man, happened for my friend, Tommy, like maybe that could happen for me. And I think just having that belief, there's something really wild that I think the the world is set up where like, if you have belief in something, it can happen. So I, I definitely, you know, and others belief in you, you know, like, I mean, your mom, you know, it's like your mom, your mom is your, your biggest fan, but at the same time, you need that person who just is like, you're awesome. This is amazing because you're not going to get that everywhere you go, you know. Yeah, and lean lean into uh, Joel says Sam should write a book. <laughs> oh my goodness! There you go. Um, I, I second that. Oh goodness! I would, I would read that. I don't even read books. No, I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no. Yeah, exactly. And Susan says knowing where your abilities come from. Yeah, Chris Hall, exactly. The four minute mile. Yeah, nobody thought that was possible No, the first person did it, and then all of a sudden. And it happened. Yeah. And that, and that's, what's beautiful about a community like this is every, this is why we love sharing wins because it shows that no matter where we come from and what our resources are, we all start at the same starting point, but it is yeah. possible. Well, so, and yeah, go ahead, Paul.
2: You're talking about that, you know, that belief in yourself and what you bring. And I think the individuality of what you bring, because I'm looking, I'm seeing like 25 different, you know, Brady Bunch heads here together <laughs> and there's nobody has listened to the exact same group of artists that you've listened to in your life. Mm-hmm. The combination of things that have gone into your individual head and heart is your own. Like if you go to Subway, they got these ingredients, right? There's a million ways to make a sandwich at Subway. And there's a million ways to, to create an artistic mind. And no one has the exact same set of influences that you have. So I look at that as something really individual and divine that, you know, yeah. I don't know if anybody likes... Pink Floyd, and Randy Travis as much as I like both of them, you know, and somehow that soup in my head is, is coming together to create whatever it is that I am, and each one
3: of you has that.
1: Yeah, Pink Travis, man. Pink,
3: Pink Travis. <laughs> it's Pink Pink a good combo. <laughs> Paul,
1: I want to dive in a little bit because you've become... Sort of a wealth of 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 knowledge, a, a maven of sorts, with connecting with all of these different people through your podcast. And I, man, I, first of all, I got to congratulate you on just what an amazing thing you've built there. Everybody who's listening to this or watching this on replay should definitely go subscribe to Songcraft, it's one of the best songwriting podcasts out there. Cool. Um, but you've had, like we said, Smokey Robinson, Elvis Costello, Vince Gill, um, so many hit songwriters and artists out there. <clears throat> what have been some of the commonalities in their stories as it relates to what we're talking to today
2: i mean a a lot of the it's you know you you talk about people's biographies and and they they read like highlight reels um and the thing that i get to do when i'm when i'm putting someone's interview together is i i look and i say oh there was a hit in 1984 but i don't see another one until 1990. And you don't think about that gap until you've got to talk about it. And those those gaps that I'm talking about about in my own life, it, man, how encouraging to me to find out that a, a writer at Motown went through the same thing, mm-hmm. or that you know uh, you know Pooh who writes with Justin Bieber, or you know uh, Dan Nigra who did the Olivia Rod- Rodrigo record. To hear about the times when they felt uh, disconnected or they felt like nobody was hearing what they were mm-hmm. doing that is such a common piece of everyone's story that we don't sit down and talk to anyone who says, you know what? I rolled out of bed one day, I started crushing it and I continue to crush it to this day. There are just like all these periods of ups and downs. Um, and it's funny. You know, we asked people, you know, things like, well, what, what inspires you? And I wish I could remember who this was, but I said, you know, what, what is it that really inspires you to write a song? And he said, a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that's brilliant too, because there is, it's not just sitting around waiting for lightning to strike, but, but hearing how, how they operate from a, from a business standpoint, how they write when they're sometimes not inspired. Um, there's so many stories about why the second record didn't do as well as the first record. And you hear the pain. It's, it's 40 years later. And it's still like that second record. should you know People should have bought that one. And you, you hear the passion. You hear the pain. You hear the ups and the downs. It's, it's an incredibly human experience. Um, when you get a chance to talk to these people who seemed like giants, and then you realize that they, they literally are going through the same
1: mental and emotional
2: hurdles that all of us are through the whole process.
1: Mm. And not giving up like that's such a cliche thing, but in, yeah. in those seven year gaps in those six year gaps, cause we all have them like at some yeah. point in our story, whether it's at the beginning when we're trying to get, you know, they say it's a 10 year town, right? But even when you get that first cut, sometimes there's another desert season after that. So it's like, you're totally right. But it is those people who are willing to stick with it and just flat out not give
2: up. I'll tell you one. One of the things that I love to, that I've taken to heart is the idea that I hear from these writers about, they'll hear something in a conversation and just run it, go write it down. Because it's, you know, the ideas are not always found in your quiet moments staring out the window, but they're in... (laughs) when somebody says something or you hear something on TV and always having those antenna up. Yeah. Um, and we talked to Lamont Dozier, who was one of the great Holland. Dozier Holland was one of the great songwriting teams of of the great classic Motown era. And he told a story about being caught in a hotel room mm-hmm. with uh, someone who was not his girlfriend at the time and <laughs> girlfriend came and started beating on the door because she wanted, you know, Lamont to emerge and account oh, for yes. himself. And he went to the door and she was yelling at him, yelling at him. He's like, slow down, slow down, slow down. Baby, stop, stop, stop in the name of love. Stop. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's like, hold on. And he shut the door and went to write it down because that was how he wrote stop in the name of love. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> to protect himself from his own girlfriend. Um, but I mean, one of the most heated moments of his life and he still had his antenna up to go. I just set a title.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're in a fight, oh my life? yeah It's like, it's, on, like
3: it's a blessing and a curse. I I do think sometimes I'll say something. Or I will be in a fight, or I'll be I'll be doing something, and then my wife would be like, "Are you writing a song?" I'm like, <laughs> "No, I'm not writing a song." Hold on a second, I gotta get my memo out. <laughs> but no, that's that's good. I mean, the most some of the most painful moments in my life, I've gotten some of the coolest song titles out of. And um I mean, I think that's a part. That's the part that. You, know, you can take something really painful and horrible and turn it into something beautiful that people connect with and find healing from and, you know, mm. it's crazy. Yeah,
1: that's, that's amazing. I, if I pulled that with my wife, I would just get drop kicked to the head. So <laughs> would, not, would not work so well in my relationship. But I definitely do write them down at night when I'm laying in bed and yeah, all of that good. That's, that's awesome. Um, cool. We'll we're, we're chat a few more minutes and then we will open it up to some questions for those of you guys who are listening to this or watching this on replay. We are live with our song chasers group, and we are going to be opening up the floor here in a second uh, via chat to ask any questions you want. Um, got Sam Tenez on here with me, Paul Duncan on here with me, the Riley Taylor and yours truly. Um, as we're rounding things out, I always love to ask this question of like, what would you say to the younger you who just got into the music industry? What piece of advice would you give yourself that you wish somebody would have given you about the industry before you got in? And either of you can, can take that.
3: Go, Sam. <laughs> I, I, think, I think for me, I wish that someone early on would have said something cliche like enjoy the ride, enjoy the process, because I think, I think we live those pinnacle mountaintop moments but there's only a few of those i mean and and even if you have a bunch of them still the majority of the time is not mountaintop it's the process of getting to that place so if you don't enjoy the ride and the process and every day on your way to it well then you're cutting out big chunks of your life that you know you might write off as not the big parts but i think the process and hanging out with your friends and you know, writing a song and then having lunch and something, something so like pedestrian as like having lunch with your friends in the middle of a right and chatting about your life and maybe having an impact on each other in that moment. I think those are the kind of things that I look forward to now. And I try to remind myself of, and I'm like, I'm not working a nine to five when I was working a nine to five. So often, like just looking at the, 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 the smaller blessings, what, what seems like smaller blessings now, but it's like, you know, not living every day to be like, man, I, if I don't have a Grammy today, then it's, you know, this today's wasted, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think just enjoying the process because it's a long process and it's not like McDonald's. It's not instant gratification. It's not a microwave. It is like, Oh, slow oven baked thing <laughs> slow cooker slow, slow cooker. cooker days yeah. and days and years Insta-plot. yeah it's not an insta pot, that's for sure <laughs> no <laughs> uh,
2: yeah i i would say something like that for sure as well i i think i would also say you know um I, I would like to tell my younger self to take advice um i was slow to take advice um i that 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 piece about you know acknowledging your own individuality and the importance of what you have to say. I had a heavy dose of that as a young man. I I definitely believed in that part. And there were times I think when people offered me help or said, you know, what if we put you together with this writer? You know, I, I, I didn't realize that that was, that was not a knock on my abilities to say that I'm that I needed co-writers to help me, that that was actually an opportunity that was being offered me and I was not I wasn't open enough to those type of collaborative opportunities when I was really young. I I really wanted to muscle it all on my own. Um, And, and I think I made life harder and made the process longer for myself by trying to just shoulder everything on, on, you know, quote unquote talent alone. Um, That I I needed people more than I thought I did.
3: Mm, That's good.
1: man. I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think the quicker, the one key metric that if you raise in your, in your life that will have the biggest effect in the music industry is not always to like increase your resources, but it's often just to increase your humility Mm -hmm. because you can walk into a situation and know, okay, I've got something to learn from this person today. Even if I'm quote further along than they are or whatever, Mm -hmm. or if I'm not like, and they're telling me something, it's increasing that humility to be willing to Mm -hmm. you know, I'm confident, but I'm always learning. I'm never, I've never arrived. Yeah. So, um, before we get into some q and I want to do a quick little lightning round with you guys. So, uh, whoever wants to answer first, first thing that pops in your mind, what is your favorite moment on your entire journey in the music industry? Favorite moment or story?
2: Um, For me, it was, you know, you mentioned Lauren Daigle. Uh, the first time I saw Lauren do one of my songs on, on stage was was a real thrill for me because I just I hadn't seen my stuff performed live and see an audience reaction. I was so much in the writing room, so I I got to go on tour with her and watch her sing our
3: songs to an audience. It was really thrilling. That's cool. Yeah, I think I think for me, like getting getting to the end of a really long stint of having a song out probably five years or six years and independently with no radio no Spotify playlists, no placements, and that song finding its way to to selling and streaming 500,000, you know, streams and whatever worth of um, stuff, like, to get a gold record. I got a gold record for a song called Play With Fire. Standing there with that moment, with that, with that plaque in my hand and knowing how much work went into that moment was just really satisfying, and it was like, man, like, we did this, like, by ourselves with no help, you know, and um, it was just very, very cool and um, just reminded me that anything can happen, I guess, and not to like kind of look down on a moment when you release something and it doesn't just pop off instantly. You know, it's, it's a long process and um, just patience pays off.
1: Mm, for sure. Um, we'll go a little more lighthearted here. Uh, Paul, favorite L.A. restaurant?
2: <laughs> oh, favorite L.A. restaurant would have to be Dino's Chicken on Pico.
3: All right. all right, all right. <laughs> Favorite national up. <runner. laughs> Oh gosh, there's so many. But I would say my favorite pizza restaurant here is Desano's. It's so good. I've never I've been there. Y'all gotta go. Where, so where is it? It's um it's over like off of like Music Row, but around it's like here's the Music Row Circle, like the Naked People Circle, whatever okay. that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and off to the left. It's off to the left. It's it's like they bring in dough from Italy and like water oh, wow. from New York, like really weird stuff, and they put it all together. Water from
1: New York. Yes,
3: because it makes it's the pizza so taste different. Wow. <laughs> so man you know this is a lame question but do they have gluten-free they probably do i'm sure they okay. do Surely,
1: that's probably like an insult to their
2: if they bring in water from new york they can probably make you a gluten-free crust. yeah
3: <laughs>
1: that's, true. That's, true. that's right okay uh last question favorite song that you've ever written
3: oh go ahead sam <laughs> oh gosh oh uh, let me think hmm I mean, I, I'm kind of a psycho. I, I always like, my favorite song is always the last song I just wrote. So I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm always the, like the new toy, newest shiniest toy is my favorite. So, I mean, some of the new stuff that I'm writing for my new record is, is I'm really excited about. I have a song coming out with this artist named dashboard confessional that I wrote with Seth. And that's one of my favorite ones right now. So I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh,
2: There's a song that I wrote with a guy named blessing offer, uh, Seth, I think, you, you, you know, I wrote a blessing, I think, um, yeah. and there's a song that we wrote called Don't Miss Love for How It's Dressed, um, about how love comes into your life. Sometimes it looks like pain. Sometimes it looks like, you know, a desert, whatever, but but don't miss it just because it's not wearing the thing you expected it to wear. Um, he, he, I, he hasn't put it out. I don't know that he intends to put it out. I've just got the demo, but I love it. I just love that song and it, more than some of the songs I've done that have done much bigger things. I just, I love that one.
1: Well, I love, I love that, that your answer
3: wasn't like the biggest
1: gold record that you've ever no, had to.
3: No, I, I feel like I end up hating the songs that do amazing by the, by the time it's over, I'm like, Oh, I hate legends are made. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs>
2: Honestly, Some of the stuff that I have to do to a song to get it to that point carves away so many of the things that i loved about it unfortunately yeah
1: uh, man i, I want to dig into that for a second what do you what do you yeah. mean by that can you speak a little more into that process well i mean it's like you know pink floyd and randy travis i mean what what more to, i I, the,
2: I like the weird <laughs> two great tastes that may not taste great together um I, I i tend to like the weird expressions i like the turn of phrase i like things that make me kind of stop and think. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you're trying to reach a broad audience.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Made It Music Podcast. In addition to this episode, we also recorded a Q&A session where some of the songwriters in our song chasers community were able to ask their own questions. We'll release that episode shortly after this one. Make sure to check out other episodes of the Made It Music Podcast. We have well over a hundred interviews with some of the top music industry pros, many here in Nashville and many from all over the world subscribe to make sure that you automatically get future episodes and leave us a review if you loved it it would really help us out or send an email to support at fullcirclemusic.com if you have ideas for how we can improve the show if you would like to become a song chasers member and attend these training sessions live head over to joinsongchasers.com to learn more You also get additional exclusive trainings from Seth Mosley. You get our Track Suite Pro software. You get song reviews from me and my team. And you get access to a custom social media network we created exclusively for songwriters and musicians. There's nothing else like it on the internet. Go to joinsongchasers.com to learn how to join. And check out madeitmusic.com for more content and episodes from this podcast. See you in the next episode.